Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Episode 90 will conclude Oscar's conversation with Mike Dotson. As the former network producer for the UK Radio Network, Mike has a ton of great road stories, and that's exactly what this episode revolves around, on the road with the Cats. Oscar and Mike will take a look back at the Kentucky basketball coaches, starting with Rick Pitino and the great tournament runs that the Cats had in the mid-90s, including three Final Fours and two national championships. We'll also hear from Mike on his thoughts on the transition between Rick Pitino and Tubby Smith and Tubby's departure from UK. The potential replacement for Tubby never happened, but Billy Gillespie did, and Mike will discuss that topic with Oscar. What was the difference between the 1996 and 2012 National Championship team? We'll find out from Mike. And it's time to hit the road with Mike as we will learn his favorite arenas and stadiums, rowdy crowds, best road trips, favorite late-night donut shop, and funniest coaches. The hot sign's on with Mike as we get some hot takes on college athletics gambling and the NCAA creating revenue. And finally, we'll hear about all the great members of the UK radio network throughout the years, including some former Wildcats. I'm Bo Robinson, and it's time to load up the gear, hit the road, and go behind the scenes with a great friend of Oscar's. He's Mike Dodson, and he's on this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Into basketball we go, and you hit it. You hit it with the plane just taking off the runway. You got a 747 taking off in 92-93, and uh, the shame photo from Sports Illustrated four years earlier. Uh, you're you're going you're going to your first Final Four. What was it like traveling that first year with Patino and uh, uh, and and a team that had come within a split second of being in the Final Four? in their first tournament game since they came off probation. At the end of the season, if you remember, they I think their first and second round was Nashville, and then the, the regional was in Charlotte. That team was rolling. I mean, they were, they, were, they were throttling people and playing about as good as basketball as they could. Two things had happened, you know, or one thing in that game, mash fouling out you know, uh, against Michigan in the Final Four. Of course, Mash fouled out, you know, in the game against against Duke, too, um, you know, the year before. But that team, you know, it was fun. I just, you know, remember um, uh, some of the places you'd go to and the environments that, that they would go into on the road. You know, you've been there and just – those were fun. I mean, when you go into those places and you're – you're ranked high and you're good and the fans are on are on your back and they're yelling and screaming. And and, it, and, they, and they loved getting on Rick Pitino, a, a Yankee from up north. Oh, yeah. And, and I can't remember one of the all-time best things I've ever seen, and I can't remember if, if they played at Barnhill that year or it was the year after, 
Um, I'd have to look at the schedule, but when he came out, I thought it was one of the you know one of the more innovative things. The band played the Godfather when yes. he came out onto the floor, which I thought was hilarious. Plus, they had media guides in Barnhill, and they would um, they would look at stuff on the players and make fun of them and stuff like that. Yell at Travis Ford because he put something in his in his bio that he liked, you know that he liked the model Christy Brinkley. She's married to Billy Joel at the time and said, hey, you should be fine. She likes short people, you know, and stuff like that because Billy Joel wasn't very tall. And, and um, you know, it just the, those environments that you would get into on the road, uh, and then you just go in there and they just kick their butt. And, you know, at the end of it, you're hearing the Go Big Blue chants for the people that have made it in because the whole place is emptied. And, and um so that's what I remember a lot, just going into those environments like that and, and um uh just coming out and 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 you know, nobody being left but Kentucky fans. And ninety four, yeah, they they get upset early yeah, in the tournament. Pete, yeah, by Marquette. And then in ninety five they lose to uh North Carolina. North Carolina, I think in Birmingham or right. Tuscaloosa, one of the two. Right. Uh and then they come and and of course that's the year that Roderick Rhodes leaves the team. What do you remember about that? Well, I remember Roderick Rhodes, I think, hit the opening jump shot off the tap. And I think that was the Jerry Stackhouse North Carolina team. And I think Roderick thought in his mind this was the game where I'm going to show those scouts that I should be right in the talk with those guys. I think this was the worst thing that happened. And, um, you know, he didn't have a great game. And, um, um I think that may have led to, to, to Roderick. Well, now tell us something behind the scenes there, because I, I just sense in your expression there that you know more than what you're telling me. Well, there might have been some comments after the game that that said that I'm done. He's not, you know, we're, we've got to make a change. And, and um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I think, I think, I think that performance that night, unfortunately, by him. Particularly on the road, is it pretty commonplace for, Sometimes the uh, player of the game interview to be done in a locker room? Uh, not really. Uh, I mean, at that point in time, you were having to do it courtside, and they may do it more that way now. Um, but, um, it, you know, it, it was mostly courtside then. I don't. I can't remember who the player was. I mean, obviously Rick came out and did his postgame show, and it was actually great um, considering the fact that they had, that they had been beat. Um, you know, I, I can't remember who went on a one at 95. Did they win it? I can't remember who did, but uh, if North Carolina did or not. Nine, but, 95 was uh, either UCLA or Arkansas. Yeah. Disappointing. Real disappointing. I thought that team had a really good chance. You know, a lot of those guys and the talent stuff came, you know, came back in, in 96. So, you thought they had a really good chance in 95. So, that was really disappointing. Not, not 96, I mean, you knew that was all Royce, Royce at the beginning of the mm-hmm. – of the fall practice, and uh, uh, we, we'd jump through it, but there were a, a couple of three big games to go to there, and, of course, I guess the first big was UMass at the grade eight up in right. Detroit, and Kentucky lost that game. Right. And uh, then uh, the loss that was perplexing to me, a lot of people say it made them win the title, but was the loss to Mississippi State in the SEC Tournament Championship. Well, I think that was probably good for them to get their – for Patino to get their attention heading into the tournament. Particularly uh, Antoine Walker. Particularly Antoine Walker. <laughs> but but let's face it, 
don't take anything away from that 95 Mississippi State team because they were also in the Final Four a few weeks later with Kentucky. Actually, they, they punched their ticket at Rupp Arena against Cincinnati. Exactly. Uh, Kentucky couldn't play here in a th- did we go through Dallas that year or yeah. Minneapolis? Dallas and, it, and Minneapolis. Yeah, Dallas and Minneapolis. And, and um, uh, so, you know, Kentucky uh, or Syracuse played Mississippi State in the first semifinal game that year. Uh, but, yeah, so don't take anything away. When they appeared in the Final Four, it showed they were a quality opponent too. But, yeah, only two losses. Um, you know, that was um, obviously a, a loaded UMass team as well as a loaded Kentucky team. So, What's, what's, a, what's a unique moment? I know there's more than a couple dozen. Uh, Rick Patino during his era here, uh, one, one of one of them that. Uh, what what was your thinking uh, when he got on Travis Ford for taking the free throws at Vandy? Um, you know I don't know. I I never really have given that much thought. I mean I I think he. Um, you know, always wanted to to try to, you know, to try to do what was right and didn't want to think he was trying to cut any corners or he had anything to do with Travis doing that. I don't know that he did, but I think he took probably the right, probably the right steps and, and you know, not condoning it uh, after it happened. I don't really have a strong feeling one way or the other on that one, though. Were you on the, were you on the road with uh, Kentucky in the 97 season? Yes. In the tournament, yes. Uh, San Jose, yes. A trip to San Francisco in between the two games, right? Would well, there's a couple things I remember about that team, and 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 I'll tell you about the that that team in '97. One of them was um, they had a second round opponent at Iowa State that was really really good, and I mean. That staff was really worried about that team. Uh, they had a, a, a guard called Andre Woolridge, I think was his name, or last name was Woolridge. Maybe I have the first name wrong. But he scored like 30-something that night, and this guy was really good. And they and they had scouted them, and I don't know what Iowa State's seed was that year, but I'm telling you what, they were, they were undervalued for whatever their seed was. That was as tough a game for them as almost to get into the Final Four, that second-round matchup with them. And then when they were – you know, they stayed in California because the of where it was in San Jose. The They played in Salt Lake and then went to San Jose. And and um, what I remember is that in their practices, their two best players weren't even playing. Uh, and that's the thing about it is they finished runner-up that year, but you got Derek Anderson who's not, who's not playing and you got Jeff Shepard. And we watched the practice out there in, in San Jose where those two guys were the best two players on the floor and they weren't and they weren't even suiting up. So that was, you know, you think about that, that those two guys uh, didn't even get to play. Um, you know, one was a red shirt with Jeff and then the other one was just, you know, I think Derek and not wanting him to, uh, to tear up his knee after he had had surgery, even though he was ready to go. But – um, and I think that was probably the right decision too, though. You, you know, you, you don't want something like that to happen and it cost him his NBA career and which, you know, he played for a while and I'm sure made good money. Could have been his second championship yep. back to back. They lose it in Indianapolis to Arizona at what, at that point in time, 
were you were you was your mind going through the process this may be his last game at Kentucky? Well, I think you went through that process every year with him at that point in time. That you know, depending upon you know, he kind of did the song and dance every year with with the NBA team. So it was just kind of you know a matter of time. Um, so I think every year you kind of thought that after he had he had he had been here that long that it could happen, and you know the Celtic thing worked itself out, and you know it's. Last game was that one, and his last game was in Rupp Arena against South Carolina. He got thrown out in that game. I <laughs> if you remember that or not, but I can't. I, I can't remember who the official was. Maybe it was Andre Patillo or something. But I think he sent. I think uh, you know South Carolina was really good that year, and mm, they uh, beat us down there too. Right, and they beat us in Rupp that last home game that year, and I think Andre Patillo sent 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 Coach uh, Patino to the showers a little early. <laughs> Do you think? When he left here, I mean, we know the big package. I just report something like sixty million dollars over a right. eight or ten year period, control and all that stuff. Do you think that he realized what kind of a team he was leaving that would be back there the next year? Because a lot of not very many people expected Kentucky to win in '98. No, I don't think so. And I, I mean, I didn't expect him to win either. I mean, you know, uh, I saw a quote one time Scott Pageant made. They said, you know we were the guys that got left behind. If not, we'd have been in the NBA. I, I don't think he thought that they had that kind of team coming back. And But I don't know if he thought he could – if he, if somebody could have said, if you stay, you'll win it next year. Uh, I don't know that that, that would have happened. And, and I'll tell you, with that team too, I don't uh, – it would be interesting to see what some of those players would say. I'm sure they would say they could have won it either way. But um, maybe Tubby was the right fit for them that year. Um, and, and trying to win a national championship. Tubby did step in. Mm-hmm. Uh, they struggled a little bit in the midseason. They sort of got it turned around, and then the last seven or eight games, it just seemed like whatever they needed to do, they did it. In the process, they got the win back from Duke. Right. That they lost earlier. Uh, Tubby was on top of the world. Yeah, and and, and I think Tubby – you know, kind of took over and, you know, just kind of dug in and took over that team and did a really good job in in game situations. Players stepped up too, you know, to kind of fall in their way in the way he wanted to play and everybody got on the same page. And I, I think probably from the, the loss they had against Ole Miss on, I guess it was on Valentine's Day yeah, that year great. here at Rupp where people were booing them. They never lost again, and um, you know they started. I think they kind of bought in, decided we need to go this route, and 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 Tubby did a great job of inserting himself and basically, you know, using his will and and coaching his butt off to to win to win the national championship that year. Comes back next year with another great season. They're just short of the Final Four. And other than the team turmoil year, uh, Tubby really run the program in a first-class way, although he just never was able to chip away enough of the blue-chip talent to get him back. The thing is, is what a, what a class guy. I mean, I think he's a good basketball coach. I think he's uh, a great ex and old guy. A great ex, especially out of a timeout. Yes. He just could not get – some of the recruits that he needed to 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 put them in a situation where they would, you know, compete. Uh, um, and they had some years where they competed. Obviously, oh three, oh five, 
um, 99, you know, which are some leftovers of the 98 team, to be consistently in the mix year in and year out. I think some of that, I, for whatever reason, I would I always thought if Tubby went into a home, you know, that he would be hard to turn a man like that down just because of who he is and, and trusting your kid to go to him. But who knows? I sure don't know what happened there. But, but it just, you know, he couldn't get the guys he needed. Were you surprised, not surprised at all, or shocked when he just, I mean, out of the blue, boom. He's not thinking about it. He's gone in 2007. That's a great question. I would say probably not surprised. And and the reason I say that is because I think Tubby's makeup, I think he probably – I always somebody – and I – had told me one time that the longer you stay at a place that you, that you lose 10% of your fan base every year you stay. And we'll talk about that subject a little later on with another situation. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe he had kind of thought, you know, now's the right time. It wouldn't have surprised me if he'd have been back, but I'm not shocked that he, that he, that he moved on. Uh, I think it was two years earlier, maybe the old five season. Where in his uh, postseason presser, he sort of paused and looked up and he said, fellas, you know, I, I understand we need to get this program back to the Final Four. You, you sort of sensed a, a detection in his voice that he was doubting where he could get that done or not. I would agree with that, especially if he knew he couldn't get, you know, wasn't able to get the players, play. you know, and – I step back for a second, and you know, and and not to take anything away from him, but there's two people in college sports that if they never leave their school, you wonder what happens. And that's Steve Spurrier, Florida in the '90s. If he never leaves there, what happens? And then when Patino, I mean, Kentucky was the it was the thing. If he never leaves in the '90s and go to the Celtics, what happens here? Because he had it rolling here, and um, and you can look at both of those individuals' career. What would have happened? To them personally, right? Had they not left? If he, if if Spurrier doesn't leave Florida, how many national championships do they have? And and while know, he had some success at South Carolina, you know, he made one championship game in the SEC, right? And that was it. Yeah, and he tied for it, right? And um, you know, played in some nice bowl games, but um, you know, it it um, but anyhow, I uh, no back to what you said. Sorry to jump off on you there, but I. I I really wasn't surprised. Now, now you were in the, you were in the middle of the of the building where a lot went on, because up through that time period, right before Kentucky hired a coach in either sport, they sort of had to the run the uh, the potential candidate right in front of Jim Host right and uh, probably a great deal more influencer than the average fan would understand. Uh, probably not as much as, as some people would claim. But when Tubby stepped down, the rumors were rampant. Billy Donovan is coming back to Kentucky. Right. Tell me what you think and tell me what you know. Uh, I don't know that I know a lot, um, but I would say that it was it was his his to turn down which he did. Now there's some people that will tell you that he was, that he had told him he was going to take it. 
you know, I don't know in those situations. You get all kinds of stuff fl- flying around, and and who knows. Um, but uh, you know, the bad thing is, is is that um, you know, you you kind of at that point in time, you kind of had to go to him and ask, and and then wait for him to go to the mountaintop and think about it and what he wanted to do. And I understand when he went to the mountaintop, there was always one guy there waiting for him. Rick Patino. Yeah. Um, or at least that's as rumor has it. Yeah. Um, you think he influenced it in any way? I'm sure they had a conversation. He had a great situation at Florida, though, at that point in time. You know, and the success that they were having then and there. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe the age of his children and things like that, that it just maybe wasn't the right time. I'm not sure he doesn't get back into college down the road. But now, immediately after that, that – Kentucky's not over. He's talking to Orlando Magic and actually accepts the position. Right. For like three days. Right. Two days. Yeah, that didn't last long. Yeah, I don't know what was – he was obviously at a crisis in something he wanted to do and then ended up just stepping back and taking, taking, you know, taking the safety net of knowing what he had there at, at University of Florida. And, um, I mean, he could – you know, he could stay there forever, and, and I'm sure they'd always been very successful. And, you know, from from a competition standpoint in the league for Kentucky, it's probably probably better off he's not there, to be quite that, honest. That Final Four, 2007, uh-huh. Atlanta, Georgia, his second or back-to-back title there. Uh, during the off day in that, uh, I'm at the Hyatt Regency going down to uh, – the Adolph Rupp Award, and the player of the year was a guy named Kevin Durant. And I run into Sim Newton and Jim Host there, who are friends of a guy named Rick Barnes. And the two of them tell me, don't be surprised if Rick Barnes is the coach if Billy turns it down. Yeah, they actually I, said more than that, but I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard that. I've heard that, that – you know, he was offered it and he turned it down. I I don't know that to be a fact, but I I mean I've heard that same thing, same thing too. And if you're saying it came from Jim Host and CM Newton, um, in fact, know, uh, CM obviously wasn't the guy making the hire, but yeah. but you know Host because of the days that Host Communications was involved at Texas, and then and then the fact that he had a relationship with Barnes, and probably the connection that. Kevin Durant, the way I heard it later, is that Barnes wouldn't let him push his name because he said, I can't be accused of getting Kevin to jump to the pros. If I take a job, if I go for it, and then he leaves, the people of Texas will blame me. I can't do anything until after he announces. Now, whether that was true or not, I don't yeah, know. I, I don't know. But how? how you know, what was your thinking when Billy Clyde Gillespie's name popped up and Got the job. Well, really didn't know much about him. Um, you know, so that was, you know, but he had the upset win over Louisville here in Rupp. I think there were some guys like Billy Donovan and like Rick Barnes that were maybe a little higher up on the pecking order that had turned it down. There's probably some, you know, at that point in time, you want to move quickly because of recruiting and how quickly that's moving to, to hire, make a hire. You know, he was kind of a flavor of the month. He had done a good job. 
you know, not only at A&M, but where was he at before that? Maybe UTEP or something Yeah, like UTEP, that. UTEP. And so – Don Haskins gave him high praise. Yeah, but obviously there was some quickly, you know, wasn't the right fit. At least they didn't waste time and corrected it. Give me two Billy Clyde stories. Billy Clyde stories. Wow. There was one time that Tom was doing a post-game show for him that was really interesting – and so Tom says something about one of the players or something like Perry tonight just seemed to struggle in the post or something. I, and I don't know the exact thing. And and he kind of goes off on Tom like, you know, Tom, I'm not going to throw my players under the bus. And it was really uncomfortable. Uh, you know, you're not just – you're not going to get me to do that. I'm not going to, you know, throw, throw my guys under the bus. It's just not right. So Tom changes directions and says – Gives him something, you know, some other question, you know, like um, you guys defended the three really night or something, you know, along those lines. And then he came back and said, and then just immediately named, well, Ramon Harris and Ramel Bradley. I don't even know who the, some of the players were, but I'm just throwing out some names on some guys that potentially. And Patrick Patterson had an awful night tonight on defending the three. I mean, after he just said to Tom – you're not going to get me to throw my guys under the bus. He asks him a question and totally switches and throws three guys under the bus. Just, just really, like um, you know, was really he difficult weird. to work with as far as his duties, responsibilities in the in the media part? Uh, well, for our standpoint, you're getting a pre and a post game show, you know, and it's like, um, what about his commercials? Well, I wasn't involved in any of those, but I mean, I always heard heard some things that they weren't, you know, that maybe those didn't go off as well as expected. But he had a little difficulty, you know, his his personality wasn't his wasn't the way of some of those. But you know, I I remember one time Neil Price had to fill in one time with him and you know to do the post game show, and we wanted to do it was a bowl game because so Tom's off doing a bowl game and Neil's going to fill in that day in Kentucky, and we wanted to. At halftime of the bowl game, preview the basketball game that was going to be coming up later. Cross promote, okay? You know, hey, let's cross promote the basketball game for later. So we wanted to run a four or five minute interview, not a full interview. They run at halftime of the football game, and it wasn't a very comfortable experience for Neil to to have to get four or five minutes and to to have to run for the you know for the for the bowl game, which we wanted to promote the basketball game coming up. But it just he's just different. I'm not so sure he wasn't a wasn't a pretty good basketball coach I you know I heard some stories I actually got to travel with him once during that point in time when he was here because Jim Barnhart who 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 took it over uh had some stuff because they had the new governor and he couldn't do his thing and traveled with him twice a year and went to Auburn and stuff but some of those things that you know you hear oh he practices them on game day and wears them out and all that well I went to a shoot around and I, I never saw that in two times I went with him. I mean, that's just kind of one of those things. You know, you never know what really to believe. I, look, I I saw Patino practice with him on day, game day, and they you talk about getting lathered up. I mean, they weren't wasting any time in the gym, and then they come out and kick somebody's butt. So, you know, when I saw those, we ran a pretty good practice. After Billy Clyde leaves, Kentucky gets its second shot at John Calipari. Right. Um did you think that was going to happen from the get-go, or did you think that they were going to get sidetracked on what was perceived as Cal's past? Um, well, I I don't know, but right guy at the right time. I mean, they had to have – you know, you had to – after going through those two years with 
that they had to with Gillespie. They had to, you know, they they, they needed to to uh, come up with the right fit. And um, I mean, I think at the timing of that for him was was perfect. Um, and who would have thought? You know, you you could go back and you, you can go back and look at at ESPN or something like that and see how they how they talked about when Billy Clyde left. Some of them were kind of taking the high road and saying they shouldn't have made a move. And, you know, Kentucky won't be – they won't be a Final Four team next year. They're not going to be in the tournament. So, those Kentucky fans, that, ex, that their expectation is that they're wrong. Well, they were wrong because the very next year, uh, he brings in Walt Cousins, Bledsoe, you know, brings those guys in, and they're knocking on the door right away. And this was without a Jody Meeks player, too, that could have stayed. Yeah. Uh, the minute he gets in, he, you know – Changes his, quickly. His, his MO was one and done right. from the get-go. But when you look back at it, first year Elite Eight, couple threes during the Final Four, maybe win it. Second year Final Four. Third year when you win the title. I mean, it was like, what have we got here? Well, I mean, I think from fan expectation, they've been spoiled. Uh, so those first four years, I guess three years, 10, 11, and 12, National championships, Final Fours, are going to be you know and and supposed to be the norm from that point on. Being norm, so you know that kind of set it up for that. But but things have changed, and you've got Duke now doing the one and done. You know Kansas has done the one and done. Um, but I think what I think from what I would say, college basketball now, you know. You can still do that, but there almost there needs to be a mix of some solid, um, you know, veteran guys too. Where, it, you know, Duke did it before and won a national championship with a lot of one and dones, and they may do it this year too. If you get the top guys, but if you don't, you better. And but Duke had Grayson Allen that was with them for four years. You got to have the lead of the lead to start with, right? A couple of them. But, then you better have some seasoned veterans, right? I think and there's a mix. Forget. People forget Darius Miller, right? You know. And uh, Patrick Patterson that first year. Right. You know, and, and Deron Lamb and uh, Terrence Jones. Right. If they're not back that second year. But but let's let's go back to our third year, I should say. Let's go back to the 12 team. How good was that team in the annals of Kentucky basketball? You would know more of the history of that from what I've seen. And, uh, you know, but just from going in the 90s to that, there's no question that there were – that 95, 96 team would be, you know, right up there with that one too. Um, I actually think that the nine, the 96 team would be better, but that's just my personal opinion. I mean, it may make some people mad when I say that. There was, you know, a lot of a lot of talent on that 96 team, and um, I think the one thing that 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 Coach Cow did a great job of getting the 2012 team to do, and that was to sacrifice. And I think the I think um, uh, Coach Patino got the guys in the 96 team to sacrifice, too. Uh, I mean, there was Mercer, Pope, uh, Walker, Delk. Um, you know, Nazi was a freshman. Yeah, I mean, he had guys He had guys that had to sacrifice, too, and um, that, that could have gone out and put up big numbers. I don't know if I mentioned Anderson or not, but, you know, they could have put up big numbers every night, too, and they sacrificed. You know, Jeff Shepard didn't play a whole lot on that team in those years, and and um, and then you know the following year, red shirts. So um, there's a 
they were he, he the, both of those teams sacrificed a lot and um but I do think probably the 96 team was a little deeper. Let me ask you a little bit about some of the places you visited in your career and okay. and what you think of them. Uh, ignoring Rupp Arena and UK facilities right. were these. The best arena for broadcast facilities. The best arena for broadcast facilities. Are we talking football and basketball? Or we're talking arena? about both. Okay. Uh, love doing a football game at Georgia. Um Claude Felton's one of the best, who's the SID there, and also the sight line you have is one of the best in the league, if not the best. Um, as far as basketball, one of the places that I look forward going to was the uh, was the old Barnhill. Now, some of the newer ones that they've got, the new uh, place at Columbia, I've not I've not worked in that one yet. And I and I and and I'll throw another one in there too. I I give credit to the Yum Center. I think it's I think it's phenomenal. I've done not so much UK stuff, but a lot of NCAA tournament stuff out of there, and I think it's I think it's outstanding. I, and I've never worked a game there. I've never traveled with Kentucky when they played there, but I have been there as a fan. And I and I think Fog Allen's a special place too, at Kansas. The worst arena stadiums for facilities. Worst arenas, oh Lord. I ever get back into this i might make some people mad um <laughs> just make sure they're not clients <laughs> um that's really hard to think of well now i can give you one in basketball I, I, I i let me tell you one in football okay, okay i'll tell you this one I, I i can't really say on the league uh, i mean but i'll give you one in football okay. and that's the liberty bowl oh yes absolutely um we had to do part of our broadcast in a in a uh, in the hall, and only people that could see the field was our play-by-play and analyst. The engineer couldn't see it, and neither could I. Uh, that the Liberty Bowl is one of the worst uh, from a basketball standpoint. Um, if if you don't get this one right, there's only two votes in this one, and and you ought to have them both. I think you I know you've been to one. I don't know about the other. But the absolute worst has to be Stokely in Tennessee. Yeah, see, that was before my time, though. I didn't do Stokely or Alligator Alley, so I never did oh, those two. So Thompson was mine, and Thompson Bowling was great because you had the mid-level press box. Now they're on the floor now, yes. but you know you had the which was great. You had, I mean, we could have had a party up in the booth that we were up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one what, and then Florida. Now, see, eighty-nine was the first year of Thompson Bowling, wasn't it? Right now, Florida. Is tight. I mean, now they've redone that here recently, which I haven't been there. But you know, Florida was tight. I mean, you're you're the stand the stands, the fans right behind you and stuff. They're right on top of you. And there's actually been a couple of places where you know the fans rushed the court that were uh, one time at the Carrier Dome and another time at, at Columbia in the old Carolina Coliseum. This takes in from the moment you cross the city line till you leave it. Uh, Best road trip of your career. Best road trip of my career. And that goes beyond the game. In other words, this is a trip you really enjoy making. From a basketball standpoint, I would say I also enjoyed the SEC tournament. I mean, wherever it is, uh, that was always a lot of fun um, from a basketball standpoint. From a football standpoint, LSU. I think – Death Valley, and especially if you're in there on a Saturday night, 
that's an atmosphere there that's incredible. I actually had some buddies of mine that bogarted on a trip with me down there several years ago. And I always told him, you got to go to, you got to go to, you got to go to Baton Rouge at night. And, um, it was a year Kentucky won. If you remember couch, they acted like they were going around the clock and did a just little running play. And then they did some kind of reverse or something to kick the field goal to win. But yeah, death Valley was, was, uh, in a night game at Baton Rouge is phenomenal. Best SEC basketball player you've seen in person outside Kentucky? I would probably, and I, and I may forget somebody here, but Shaquille O'Neal was one big dude. I mean, he when he got on the floor, he was massive. You know, pretty phenomenal. Um, and I'm sure I may be leaving some people out of that, but, um, you know, his college days, he was one – you know, he was a heck of a player and a big force in the game. Football. Well, I mean, you guys like Herschel Walker and stuff were – I mean, I remember him as a fan or Bo Jackson before my time. But um, I would say it's got to be, you know – I I remember Emmett Smith at Florida would just run wild against Kentucky. And, you know, he was pretty special. Best SEC coach – Football and basketball, other than Kentucky. From a football standpoint, I mean, that's Nick Saban. Um, from a basketball standpoint, I would probably lean towards, and when we're taken out of Kentucky, would probably lean towards the towards Billy and his days, unless you're talking current, which Saban is. But yeah. if you're talking current. Current or former. Yeah, I would. I mean, I'd. I give a lot of credit to Billy and what he did it for. The funniest SEC coach, basketball, football. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Can you help me on that one? Give me. Well, some. I, I don't know how far you go back, but there's always Wimp. There's yeah, the well, Wimp was there. Sonny you, Smith, not so much. Dale Brown. Probably, I probably might go the Wimp line. I actually worked with Wimp some. Uh, some some NCAA tournament stuff and just some of this is stuff. He as funny he as is private as he is. He is. I mean, he's just like he, he he's just like that. I haven't really worked with Sonny Smith, but he's just like he is. You know, on you know, coaching on the sideline. I mean, you have the you know, um, guys that have done stuff like Bruce Pearl. I mean, I think I don't know if he's funny, but I think he's good for the league. But um, football. Hmm. Is it harder to get a feel for the football football than it is basketball? Yeah, I mean, you don't really, you're not really around those guys as much, and um, you know, so they don't come around you. In basketball, some of those guys would come over. It's just a, it's a tighter group and stuff, and you can get them to come over and say hello to you and stuff like that. But in football, it's a little different. A lot of what you see from those guys is is press conference only. Mm-hmm. So it's a little hard for me, especially off the top now. Um, you should have given me a take-home test on this, and I might have been able to do better. Most obnoxious SEC basketball coaches. Most obnoxious. Um, wow. Throw a couple at me. I'll see if I agree with you. Well, you could always go Ray Mears. Uh, you could probably go Bruce Pearl. I, I mean, I was probably leaning more towards towards Pearl, more or less what he kind of did at, at – 
at Tennessee when he was there and the mm-hmm. painting himself when he went to the Tennessee women's games and stuff like that. But I kind of used him up a little bit ago. Ray Mears is when I was a kid growing up. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't traveling, but obviously very familiar with that and the unicycles and the stuff like that. Best SEC rule change in the last 25 years. Well, it's probably the three point shot. I mean, I don't know if it's been 25 years. Has it been 25 years or is it before that? Uh, actually, probably was a little bit more. It's close to thirty years. Yeah, I think it was eighty-seven. I think it's Rex's first or second year. So we're talking almost thirty years ago, probably, yeah. is when that came into play. Yeah. Well, that uh, still qualifies enough. Yeah, I don't. I don't. That there's nothing really. Five, five second call back. Yeah, forward. none of that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, those are all those are all things that have made an impact. But the thing that really, the three point shots, the thing that's really changed. It's totally changed the game. I mean, it's you know, in the way you in you know the way you play it. Give me the first three names that pops out your mind as three best officials in basketball: Curtis Shaw, Tony Green, uh, probably Don Rutledge. A lot of people may not remember him, but that would. I always thought Andre Patillo did a nice job too. Mm-hmm. I always thought he, he was a good official. I mean, now I won't ask the three worst. Yeah, now, <laughs> Curtis. Curtis. Uh, he left the league and then was doing um, – um, Curtis sort of left the league in infamously, didn't he? Yeah, and he was doing – Auburn? Some, yeah, he was doing some assigning and things. and Went to Southwest or Big 12. Yeah, uh, but, you know, I always thought did a nice job. And like I say, I, those other ones we named do a good job too. Uh, Cameron Mills agrees with you completely on Curtis Shaw. Yeah, I, I, I Curtis is great. And a very and a and a and a guy that was would try to get to know not only the players a little bit but also uh, the broadcasters. He'd always come over and talk to us before the game, and a good official. Does the uh, Supreme Court ruling on betting on college games bother you at all? No, because it's really kind of going on right now. It's just now they're trying to make it legal, I guess. You know where you can go in sports books and do it. Um, it's just how are they going to manage it? You know how. That adds another layer of concern, I think, to schools and how they're going to manage that um, would be my guess. And, again, like I say, I mean, you can go out and lay out a bet, you know, on a Kentucky-Louisville game on the 29th. You can you can find somewhere to lay a bet down on that easy, it, easily enough. So there's just not the legal way to do it. it it's just how are they going to – how, what what problems does that create? I don't know, and I don't I don't know about that. I don't. I'm not could you to. could you foresee or uh, a progression to the point to where you would actually have betting parlors inside an arena? I don't know about that, but I do think you know one of the things that I think that you're going to see from a school standpoint, they always they're always looking for other ways to add revenue. I mean. You've got the SEC, then they have the SEC network that helps. But schools are faced every day with cutting budgets from their state, or or, and how are we going to come up with more money to raise to increase our um, athletic department budget? Uh, I mean, I hate to say that, but one of the, one of the ways that they're going to be able to do that is, you know, do they do they start taking some soft type stuff, not you know, that from sports books and things like that to let them advertise. And then, unfortunately, the other one, I think, and you're going to start to see it open up too, and I think I think is the alcohol issue. I think that's that's one that 
the league's been really great in the SEC of trying to stay away from that, but there's places that are already starting to do that. Well, NCAA this year for the first time is going to sell alcohol at all postseason events. I, I mean, that's their next that's their next place. I mean, there, you know, there, there's very few open revenue streams that they haven't tapped on yet. And, and but will I, they ever have enough? Well, no. I mean, that's a whole revenue other, stream. Yeah, that's a whole other question and discussion, but. The next things that I see are these sports books and and the alcohol issue. Let, let's talk a little bit. You just give me a line or two or what you remember most or something good about them or whatever of the people that's worked UK. And I'll start out with some of the uh, on-air talent, uh, Jeff Van Note. The Noters, uh, a joy to be around, fine broadcaster, big Kentucky fan. Jeff Pecoro. Jeff and I go back to our days. We both grew up in Lexington. We played uh, baseball together, and uh, I've known Jeff for a long time and uh, always enjoyed my time with him working um, on the on the U.K. football broadcast. Does a solid job and does a great job with his stuff, with the red stuff. G- you know, good friend. And I like Jeff a lot. Dick Gabriel. Dick's uh, – one of those guys that you would that you would classify as uh, somebody that can do a lot of things, you know, whether it's hosting, whether it's sideline reporting, and and do all of them well. Um, good guy, good friend, and and um, uh, has done a great job in in the various roles he's played throughout the years in the network. Dave Baker, Dave, very talented broadcaster. You know, he primarily hosted the pre the pregame show for uh for basketball um can can uh you can tell him hey man give me uh, about three minutes and fill some time and he can come up with some you know he he can do a heck of a job on the fly and in tough situations and and uh do a good job with that sam Bowie. sam's a delight i miss sam uh we had a good time in our days with uh when he was doing the games with ralph um you know he was ones that he was one of those guys that 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 when i talked earlier about having fun with broadcasting and doing the games and things sam was was there to do his job but also have fun kyle macy kyle was was kind of one of the first guys i worked with and doing our games together and uh, we spent a lot of time together on the road whether it was hitting a steak and shake or crispy creams at at uh late night hours because we both had a uh, had the sweet tooth but i think that was in tuscaloosa (laughs) after a football game (laughs) we've look we've you know i can get a tap on the door you know it could be midnight i'm in there watching tv i think i'm done for the night he goes hey let's get krispy kreme all right we take a cab over to krispy kreme and go get a dozen donuts and four things of milk and have a meeting and on the way back but um you know kyle's fine you know good friend good broadcaster and you know talking about growing up earlier and being able to work with him you know was was a great thrill mike pratt mike does such a great job with tom i think it's a it's a great team between those two um you know underappreciated uh as a uh as a player here in my opinion even though he's an all-american I'll go out right now and tell you. I think his name ought to be up and up up and up arena, and I hope that happens someday for Mike. Rob Bromley. Uh, I think we all would go one of the classiest, most genuine human beings that you'll ever run into. Um, 
You know, you talk about a guy that had to have some tough days and doing coaches shows and things like that on Sundays with after losses, whether it was football or basketball and always did it in a very professional way and happy for him that he's now again getting to enjoy some retirement, but, uh, fine Neil, person. Neil Price. Well, Neil, you know, did the, did the women's games and baseball games and really happy and proud for Neil that now he's the voice of the, Mississippi State Bulldogs. He spent his time and his dues here, and and uh, talked to him, talked to him a lot still. And um, he's doing great, and he deserved it. And um, you know, it's I'm glad he's a part of that fraternity in the league of being a play-by-play in the SEC. Jimmy Barnhart. Well, Jimmy kind of took the reins after me and and doing the stuff courtside there for the basketball games and smart guy. Helps people, does a great job, very conscientious, um, and just a, a good fellow to be around. Ryan Lehman. Uh, Ryan's a hoot. Um, you know, he filled in on stuff on some of the pregame stuff with us. Um, you know, we call him out of the bullpen when we had some people scattered that that uh, we needed him to come in, always available, and um, did stuff with you on uh on the pregame show and and uh always enjoyed working with ryan and again a very versatile broadcaster and a talented guy matt jones uh matt you know did the sideline stuff for us on on basketball um i guess maybe it was two or three years that he did it with us did a great job um i think what he's built now with his ksr stuff is amazing and and continues to to for for that stuff to prosper every day but uh matt was also a pleasure to work with i you know i we were fortunate that oscar that you know you can't really look at people that we've had through the years and just say you know that they weren't good people or good to work with and stuff were really good including yourself so keith elkins uh keith um you know was our our uh, studio guy that always had to step up and, you know, whether we had a tornado in Atlanta and fill some time and, 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 uh, during the SEC terms that year and do things for us. I mean, he's solid as can be very dependable. Um, you know, not a high profile role uh, on the network, but does it well and does it to the best of his ability and really solid. Dave Kaywood. Uh, when I, Dave K Wood, I didn't work with much at the NCAA level. A lot of people, and I know Dave, but he was in charge of the NCAA tournament for a long time. He came here to work at host communications, uh, was a mentor and a friend to me. And, um, um, you know, um, went with us on some road trips just as a fan. Uh, you know, in some of those times, uh, he since passed away, miss Dave, miss his counsel a lot. And, um, but, but, um, uh, you know, he was good to have around. Uh, Jim Marcioni. Uh, now, he was the guy at the NCAA that kind of came along after Dave that handled the media part of it, so worked with him closely. Um, I've actually even dealt with him more. We have Kansas is one of the schools we have the rights to right now, and and uh, so have seen him and worked with him in that, and, and um, uh, you know, real real easy to work with and 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 always did a nice job and and very nice man 
Kaywood Ledford. Uh, you know, fortunate that, that I was able to spend some time with Kaywood before he retired, you know, a, a thrill, um, you know, learned a lot and, and watching him and, um, he was just Kaywood. I mean, there's no other way to describe it, but, um, a lot of fun to, to be able to watch him and, and see, see how he did things and, and also, uh, be on some road trips with him too. When I was, uh, the driver for Ralph and Kaywood and Tom Devine. Tom Stoltz. Tom Stoltz uh, came along at a time for host communications. It was in a uh, w- where we were in a little bit of a pickle. Uh, did a great job in in turning our our company around. And fortunately, a lot of people still have a job today because of what he did, and a lot of respect for for what he was able to do. And and um, you know still still doing a lot of things in the, you know, as far as in the multimedia rights business now in his own group. Ralph Gabbard. Uh, didn't work as closely with Ralph, but, but, you know, would, he, would run into him occasionally at different times, but, you know, just a really nice man, um, very calm, um, and, um, you know, good, you know, uh, good business guy. So. Ralph Hacker. You know, Ralph was great. A lot of fun times we had. Uh, I think uh, he had a tough road to follow when he had to follow Kaywood. He did a great job. I think he's underappreciated in that and in, in having to follow. Probably, you know, one of the things that that I always enjoy, and I and I like I say, I go back to that 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 you know, Ralph was one that always wanted to laugh and have fun too, and and. Um, just an absolutely smart businessman, too. Um, I mean, very, very astute. Somebody that that uh, I consider a great friend, too. Jim Host. Well, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for for Mr. Host, and and also for somebody like Ralph Hacker, and and I'm indebted to those guys, you know, uh, for the rest of my life. You know, a a, a guy that business wise. Um, the visions and ideas that he had and still coming up with ideas. Um, but uh, I appreciate everything he's meant to me and my family and the opportunities I've got. And um, those are all a result of, of um, you know, walking through that door at 546 East Main and, and being able to do what I've done and the, the places I've been able to go and people to meet and all that. It's been a, it's been a pleasure and a joy. Many thanks to our great friend Mike Dotson for joining us on this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. In case you missed it, part one of Oscar's conversation with Mike is episode 90, and that can be found at oscarcombs.com. Some former members of the UK radio network that Mike mentioned, well, Oscar's had conversations with them as well. Kyle Macy is episode three, Jim Host is episode five. Episodes 21, 22, and 23 feature Ralph Hacker, Sam Bowie is episode 25 and 26, and Mike Pratt, episodes 29 and 30. All episodes are available for free on your mobile devices, and you can search for at Wildcat News on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and subscribe for free. Oscar on Twitter, he's at Wildcat News, tracking the cats for you. I'm Bo Robinson, thanking you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House, and as always, Go big boy.